Hi, everybody. This is Char Nolan from Real Food Works, and today I have the distinct pleasure of talking to Howard Jacobson, Ph.D. I met Howard last month at the Rip Esselstyn event in Claverack, New York. He was one of the featured speakers. I am in admiration of the work he's done in the book Hole, and I'm proud to say that he is a Temple graduate, having gotten his master's and his Ph.D., in what was once called the School of Hyperdia Temple University. So welcome, <laughs> Howard. It's nice to see you. You too, Tar. Go Owls. <laughs> That's right. Go Owls. So my first question, Howard, is uh, anyone who I've spoken to over the last couple of weeks is has asked me the question of, well, how did he meet T. Colin Campbell? And so that's my question. How did you meet him? Yeah, fu- funny story. So in late 2004, I went out to a, a veg source conference in, uh, I think, Pasadena, and there are hundreds of people there, maybe, you know, seven, eight hundred, and uh, T. Collin was one of the speakers, and he talked about his upcoming book, The China Study, and it was an incredible presentation, and so afterwards, you know, about 500 of us got online to shake his hand. Right to just you know, and I was one of those five hundred. So that's how I met him. So I I I I didn't expect that I'd made any sort of impression, especially since I didn't actually say anything except, "Wow, that was great." You know. So then uh, a few months later, the China study comes out. I buy it and devour it, and um, I wrote I write a review on Amazon. And, and I was one of the first review writers for the China study. This was six weeks or so after it had been published, and there had been only two reviews on Amazon, which says something about, you know, how far Amazon has come, but it really says something about the fact that the China study was really an unmarketed book that, that, that rose to, you know, million copy status on, on word of mouth and its merits. There was no big push. There was no, um, media or PR blitz. And so six weeks after it had been, been published, there was almost no reviews. So I wrote a, uh, a good review. You know, I think it was useful. It was, it was definitely glowing. Um, and, and I didn't think anything else of it. Um, except a few months later, the phone rings in my house and my wife answers it. And all of a sudden she runs to me with the cordless and, and she's looking like, like in, in paroxysm. She's like, like, like wild-eyed and pointing to the phone and, and like, what? And she says, it's Colin Campbell. What are you talking about? So I pick up the phone and she says, hello, this, is this uh, Howard Jacobson? Um, I said, yes. She says, did you write the review of my book on Amazon? I said, yes. She says, I wanted to thank you for that. So, so my first thought was, how did you get my number? But you know, how did you get your number? How did you get your number? I discovered he's he's a he's a researcher, right? He can he can can figure things out. Um, (laughs) I don't I don't know. I still I never asked him that. But then he said, you know, I think I met you at VegSource. (sighs) Wow. All right. Now I'm really impressed. And you know, he was so gracious and pleasant that after about thirty seconds, I forgot that I was talking to my idol, and we were just having a conversation. And he was, and he he went into like why he appreciated the review was that he'd been he'd been getting so many attacks and negative reviews and people um, calling his work into question and and accusing him of being a you know a, an animal rights terrorist or or whatever. And he says that my review. Has been had always had stayed on top, 
it had been always voted the most useful review, and therefore all the other reviews that would come up would get buried under it. And he felt like it was a, a kind of a talisman of protection, and he mm-hmm. wanted to thank me for that. And that was how we met, and we um, started a, a friendship. I think we were up in Ithaca the following summer, and I took my family to meet him, and we hung out a little oh. bit, and... I think my son got stung by a bee in his backyard and <laughs> the, you know, the, things like that can sort of bond relationships. Mm-hmm. And we, we stayed friends ever since. And I think he, he had it in his head that I was a good writer, I think largely from the review. <laughs> um, and well, I've read that review and it is uh, still at the top. Um, yeah. the, if you go to Amazon today, it's still number one. And I think that it was sort of like um, almost reading the Cliff Notes version of the book, which I think helps to sort of catapult people into actually going to get the book and reading it. It was just very succinct, and, and I loved it. So anyway, it's, it's still number one. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. You know, I mean, when you what I discovered is if you write one of the first three reviews and yours is the best of the three, it will stay at the top forever. Oh, wow. Right, because wow. that, those are the ones that people are going to see, and it's just sort of a snowball effect. Um, so the short version is you met him online at uh, VegSource in 2004. That's the short answer? Well, yeah, we shook and hands. He, and he remembered you. That's, that's No, it's, it's just like an amazing opening to this whole relationship that you have. So that's that's very, it's, it's a very sweet story. Yeah, it's almost like well, meeting your favorite beetle, isn't it? Yeah, well, it was better because you know, <laughs> you know, John John Lennon never, you know, gave me health advice. He didn't he didn't uh, help me, you know, get fit and lose weight. Um, I would I would say the takeaway for me is I wrote the review purely as a uh, a non selfish act, like I was just trying to be helpful, not thinking anything. Oh, that would, comes across. Not thinking anything would come of it. And it turns out to have been like the most selfish thing I've ever done in terms of, you know, benefit to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to start volunteering more. <laughs> well, it's it's really beautiful, actually, how that story un, unfolded. So, uh, you know, what a, what a nice thing for you and, and how rich you both have become by knowing one another. Yes, I know. I know that's true of me. Yeah, well, I, I, having seen the two of you together and, uh, just sort of, you can sort of see the admiration flow between the both of you. And, and I think that that's a very nice thing. So it was very sweet for me to, to see the two of you together. Right. And this, nice you know, this, this may, uh, jump into another question, but I, but I do have to say that when we were working on the book, um, you know, Dr. Campbell really encouraged me to bring my own ideas forth. And it's something I, I don't think I would have been um, really, you know, I didn't feel like it was my place at first. Mm-hmm. Like this is, mm-hmm. you know, it's his 50 years of research. And and yet whenever I had a sort of a tentative suggestion, he was encouraging. He wanted to be challenged. He really invited me and encouraged me to to bring as much of myself and my own critical thinking to the book uh, as as I could. And, you know, there were areas where we had disagreements and we, we talked it out. And I can't tell you what a thrill it is to, to sort of eventually get to, to the place where I felt like, you know, we could have a, uh, uh, an argument as peers about a particular point of research and what it meant and its significance. 
Hmm. Wow, that's a nice place to be. Yes. Very nice place to be. Well, I love the answer to that question. Um, the next question is, what is your perception of the quote, let thy food be thy medicine? What does that mean to you? Hmm. Um, well, it's, it's, it's really talking about what is the, the first line of defense versus the, the last line of defense. In other words, where, you know, if, if you have a fly in your house, is the first thing you go to the atomic bomb to kill the fly? Um, no, most, most people would, you know, open a window or get a fly swatter <laughs> or fly mm-hmm. paper. And the, the fact that, you know, we, we, the fact that you need to have that statement says already that there's something quite wrong with our health system. That in, in, mm-hmm. in, instead of having food as our medicine and medicine as our food, meaning the, you know, a normal lifestyle should be life promoting as it is with every other creature on the planet is the things that they do naturally are the things that have uh, proven to be evolutionarily beneficial for the species and for individuals. For, but for, for us, we're, we're in this weird position where the things that we like to do and the things that we create for each other to eat uh, are actually reducing longevity. So, mm-hmm. so, And then we turn to the atomic bombs of surgery and, and pills um, when the, the solution is a, you know, a preventive one that's right in front of our noses. That's very true as well. There was uh, an interesting uh, statement yesterday on Twitter from a nationally known hospital who wrote an article that was called The Benefits of Statins. And my response to them was... Uh, Shouldn't food be your first defense? And then the next thing I knew, it opened up a whole can of worms from other people who were on the, you know, the plant-based spectrum who were like, yeah, I can't believe that this institution is uh, promoting statins when uh, a plant-based diet is the best defense to have in, in modern medicine. It was very, very interesting. And I thought, oh, I really opened up a can of worms. You know, sometimes you just forward something or whatever, but I was like, I'm taking a stand on this. So I think... Um, I think that you, it, I, I like your analogy between the uh, the fly and the atomic bomb. <laughs> I think that that kind of lets people really see how powerful uh, food can really be. And I don't know if most people in America see food that way. Right. No. It's from from my perspective, food is food is something associated with with indulgence, with pleasure, with convenience, with necessity. Uh, with, with family memories. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, there's an indifference to it, which you never would find for, for anyone who's like into cars. Like if you told someone, oh. I'll just put any crap in your car. It doesn't matter. Clean, dirty, you know, rubbing alcohol, isopropyl, you know, brandy, gasoline. It's all the same stuff. It's all, you know, hydrocarbons. You know, no one would treat their car that way. <laughs> you know, I, I've never had a car for more than 15 years, you know, so I'm, I'm planning on having my body for life. So I kind of feel like I should treat it at least as good as I treat my car. Uh-huh. Well, 
I think that that's an analogy also that people can relate to because people, if you go to the car wash or something and you see people getting out and giving instructions about, you know, where they shouldn't put the hose or make sure they've got the brushless wipes and, and everything else like that, people uh, do take uh, a lot of care about their cars and probably, I think they probably spend more time with the car wash guy than they might at a doctor's visit actually that I think about it, think mm. about it. Yeah. <laughs> or Or a mechanic. You know, it's kind of interesting. Well, because, well, you I know, know, I mean, you know, one one thing that comes to mind is we know how to take care of a car. Well, right? True. You're not going to find ten different schools of thought about car maintenance. Right? You're not going to find a, a group that says, well, you should put in lard in your fuel tank. And <laughs> you should only check the oil every 30,000 miles. Or you should you should change the oil every day. Or you should, you know, you should run your oil through a juicer first. You know that we that we know how cars work, but some but somehow the human body's complexity has led to so much confusion that people think, well, there is no there is no truth out there. So you know, might as well just do whatever, or give up, or follow the fad of the moment. Um, you know, you you know you know when there's two solutions that neither one really really works. If there's, you know, a million ways to lose weight, then there no one's figured out the one way that works. Well, I wonder if this might be a factor quite seriously that when you do buy a new car, it does come with an owner's manual and tells you it's got diagrams of the car body. It tells you what to do and when to do it. And um, maybe that's the reason why, because there isn't really a manual for for what we are as human beings. I don't know. Well, I don't know yeah, anything about cars. But. I mean, that's a great point because, we, you know, there is no manual, so we have to make one up. And the way we think of ourselves is like machines. And you can see this, and this is kind of what the, what the whole point of whole is, is that as a society, we see ourselves as machines, and therefore we're looking for, like when the mechanic sees a problem, there's only a few things it can be, and it's usually, you know, it's one thing and you fix that one thing and that solves the problem. If your, mm-hmm. if your axle is bent and that's, that can cause all sorts of issues with, uh, with your drivetrain, with your, the gear differentials, with your braking, you know, but all you have to do is find that thing and fix it. And that's how we yeah. approach the, we approach health is there's one thing that you need to fix and we'll find the pill or we'll, we'll cut out that part of your body and replace it with something else and then you will be fine. And it's that, it's the reductionist mechanistic model applied to human beings that may be causing, you know, that may, may be the reason that nothing really works. You know, it's like if you applied the human model to cars and the car wasn't working and you took it to your car psychiatrist. And the car psychiatrist sat with it and, and, and talked with it about its feelings. You know, that wouldn't work. It was, we're just applying yeah. an incorrect model. Yeah, that's kind of funny, too. I, I think that there could actually be a whole other discussion uh, between you and I about uh, the parallel between the human body and the automotive industry because uh, I, I just – there are more commercials on TV for fixing your car, buying a car – caring for your car than there are about eating things that are healthy. And if you have daytime TV on at all, you are bombarded with packages that are primary colors that are filled with all kinds of additives and preservatives and nothing healthy comes on. So there are there's better information on TV for cars than there is for the human body, I'm convinced. <laughs> That'll be our next conversation, Howard. We'll uh, 
We'll talk about television and uh, its uh, its impact. Well, I'll have to start watching then, so I have something to say. Well, oddly enough, we don't have cable. We have TV, and in my office, I have a little TV that I play as background noise. So I am sometimes transfixed by the commercials that come on of, you know, dancing menopausal women who are dancing for diapers and, you know, ways to clean your floor and stuff like that. It's it's actually very entertaining. So (laughs) I guess I'm guessing that when people read whole, like when they read any life-changing book, that you probably hear from people who share a great story with you about how reading the book has impacted their life and changed their lifestyle. And I was wondering if there's a specific story that stands out in your mind uh, relating to whole and somebody's life being changed. Right. Well, I have to say that probably most of those missives go to Dr. Campbell and not to me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I I come across people who have read it because they know me. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, uh, you know, you're, oh, your brother did something. Oh, you know, that's not so impressive as a stranger. So I, I, I can't say that I have any specific, like, it totally changed my life stories. But what I, w- I will say this, that first of all, the, the audience for Whole has largely been, I think, people who are already sort of in the movement who are who have read the China study, who've seen forks over knives, and so they don't, you know, the impact of the of the science as in the China study and in forks over knives and in some of the events where people get exposed to the truth for the first time, that can be like life changing. What I think Hole does is it's it's more of a a reinforcement and a stabilization. So for me, after reading the China study, I went completely plant-based for several years, and then I kind of forgot about it, and I started hearing from some paleo people who seem very smart, and, mm-hmm. and just, you know, the uh, hormonal dysregulation and adrenal function, and said, oh, gee, well, maybe, maybe I need some meat in my diet, and, and so I didn't really have a place to stand. Um, and I wasn't really doing, you know, intense research, but it's just like, well, that makes sense too. And then I'd hear yeah. somebody else, oh, that makes sense. And the slow burn marathoners. And then I'd hear from the, the high intensity training folks. And they're both arguing for what, you know, it's like all this different stuff is going on and it all makes sense in its world, in its context. Yeah. And I'm totally confused. And I hear that from a lot of people. So, you know, at the, at the event where we met the uh, farm to forks, um, there were a lot of speakers who were very, very articulate and clear about the benefits of a plant-based diet. And mm-hmm. we, you know, as an audience, we tend to bond with those people. Oh, they're, they're so smart. They're so giving of themselves. They're so nice. Their, their values are the same as our values. But you really don't have a place to stand to say, yes, that's the truth. Because then you go somewhere else and you hear a bunch of other people and you go, oh, wow, I really like them too. So what what I've heard from people about whole is that it it kind of made their their understanding of the world more bulletproof that they were no longer um swayed so easily. So you know, one example is that Mediterranean diet study that I that I talk about a lot. And I mm-hmm. and I don't actually have opinions about the Mediterranean diet per se. You know a lot of people who uh, who've seen my YouTube videos and presentations defend the Mediterranean diet. And I wasn't even talking about the diet. I was talking about the study design and the way the media 
misinterpreted it. And so what people tell me after reading Whole is that they understand where this barrage of misinformation comes from. They understand how to arm themselves to determine the truth. Um, and they can see all the invisible, beforehand invisible forces at work that are p- promoting um, messages that are that are in variance with fact. Mm-hmm. And and I'm delighted because that's what that was my experience in writing the book. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it, it wasn't Dr. Campbell's experience. He he figured this out, you know, 30 years ago. And, and so for, for me to go through it in the, uh, you know, 11 months or 13 months, I think it took us to work on the book and then for someone else to read it in a week and a half and have the same epiphanies as I did is very gratifying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're full of rich stories today, I have to say. Very huh. rich stories. Well, I've been, I've been, I've been uh, I was out, I've been exercising for four hours today. So I think so certain circuits are open. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, that's good. Um, what is your, this is my favorite question, what is your favorite or ideal plant-based meal? Uh, well, you know, I was I saw that you, you uh, emailed me that question, and I was thinking about it, and I had an answer then, but I have a different answer now. I suppose okay. it, it changes. Um, so I'll say for, for myself right now, um, I am in love with a, uh, a dish that my daughter, Yael, makes. Um, it's a collard wrap. So basically all these shredded salad vegetables, uh, carrots, red peppers, different types of greens, and then a bunch of sprouts um, and some guacamole, all wrapped in a collard leaf. Wow. Um, that is... Uh, it's 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 filling and light at the same time, um, completely raw, no cooking involved, very little cleanup, and you know it's like ninety degrees here today. It's just the 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 perfect thing to snack on throughout the day. Yeah, you can probably make a bunch of them in advance and keep them in the fridge. And so, if you're hungry or if you wanted to make a full dinner out of it, you could add a little rice to it or something else. But they sound delicious and. I uh, kind of got the feeling, having met your lovely daughter, Yael, that she probably is very creative in the kitchen. So uh, you're probably lucky to have her there. <laughs> yes, she's very, she's very creative. She's, she's not very good for cookbook authors because she doesn't like cookbooks. She, she resents other people telling her what to do. But she, she, uh, she comes up with good stuff on her own. Oh, that's good. Well, then maybe, maybe she needs to write a cookbook for people because I, I'm the same way. I don't follow directions. It seems like... Kind of get the gist of it, but you know, maybe because there is a market for people who who want cookbooks that aren't, uh, you know, a- exactly to the T. When yeah. I write recipes uh, on Engine Two, uh, sometimes people will um, ask me uh, what size was the pan that you cooked it in, how many degrees did you peel the potato, didn't you peel the potato, and it's very hard for me because I'm sort of like a you know, a global thinking chef, and however you want to peel a potato, it's fine by me. But it's just kind of funny, so I, I understand that really, really well. Right. So, but, I'll, but you know, I, want to, I want to answer that question about my favorite meal another way, if I if sure. I may, which is for people who are maybe just transitioning or who you know, uh-huh. say say have gone to a weekend and they've been fed all this wonderful food and now they come home 
And yeah. for, for people, and for me too, one of my favorite meals is just the simplest meal that I can make. Um, so that, because, you know, and I, I understand where people are coming from when they ask questions like, what size pan did you peel the potatoes? Because yeah. when, we, when we lack, when we lack competence, we're look, we, we look for, uh, step by step direction. Oh, that's a good point. That's a very good, I had never thought of it that way, so. Right, that one, one of the things that, that we run out of, the quickest, uh, research has shown is the ability to make decisions, or even the desire to make decisions. Like we have, it's like you have a budget, a decision budget. And that's why we, habits are so useful, because whatever we can do automatically, like I didn't have to decide to brush my teeth and floss this morning. There was a time when flossing was a decision. <laughs> you know, and so I would do it sometimes and not do it other times and forget and feel guilty. Once it became a uh, decisionless habit, that that freed up brain space. And so when people are trying to go plant-based, first of all, they're already like walking around feeling like they're they're using their willpower to not have the ice cream or the cheese omelet or whatever. And then if they have to go through decisions like what size pan should I peel the potatoes? It's it, it's like their heads are going to explode. So for me, you know, when yeah. I when I get people to transition, I'll say, you know, do you like Mexican food? Great, get a rice cooker, one one push one button rice cooker. Just push the button, the rice is done, and open a can of beans. I hate canned beans. I think they're you know terrible, and we should make them from scratch. But I tell people just a can of beans, rice, and steam a vegetable. You know, so the the easiest, least moving parts meal that someone can make um, and then just do it on a regular basis open some tacos open you know throw a bag of frozen corn in some hot water uh, slice an avocado and use a quarter of it uh, you know if you like salsa dump some salsa on it so whatever you know whatever people like to do what is the easiest way that you can move them in in the right direction as opposed to what I think a lot of us in the community try to do is to get people to go perfect right away uh, I always like to look at progress and not perfection. So I think that if you can make the transition and start out with, you know, using rice and canned beans and then eventually maybe think about buying, you know, beans in bulk and soaking them and having that become a learning experience, I, I think that that's good. And I don't know where you found a one-button rice cooker because I recently treated myself to one and it looked simple and you've got to push all these buttons and it's the older rice cookers just came with that little dial where you just put, put it to on and it cooked. But I needed to have an MIT certificate to use uh, the one that I have now. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem in the uh, technology the community that they don't understand usability. Um, I have my rice cooker is called, I think, Miracle something. It only it uh -huh. doesn't even have it doesn't even have a button. It has you. It has a lever. You push it down to cook the rice, and it, when it's done, it pops up. Oh, well, that <laughs> sounds nice. And again, uh, going back to talking about manuals, of course, my rice cooker did come with a 32-page manual on how to use it, how to clean it, how to cook in it. So we have to maybe create a body manual. Maybe that will be your next book, the plant strong body, or the plant-based body manual, or something like that. The first 10 pages will be in English, then it'll be in like Japanese, French, <laughs> Korean, <laughs> Spanish. 
Don't forget French and Portuguese. Those are those are my favorite right. ones to read. <laughs> uh, I like I like the answer to the meal, and I I think actually Yael is giving me a, an idea for dinner tonight because I'm going to be heading over to the uh, produce mart pretty soon to uh, get some vegetables. So I might get some collards and, and do that. I'll, I'll look. So, on, I'll look for it on Instagram. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I do. I do post right now. I'm running a 30 day. It's called hashtag 30 oatmeal because I love to see how people prepare their food. So I think we have about 85 pictures now of people all over the globe eating their uh, their oatmeal. So the last question is um, kind of a fun one. Maria is our creative designer, and she's, um, she's plant-based, and she's a mother of two young children. Her curiosity was, who does the cooking in your house? Um, well, as I said, Yael does a lot. Um... I do, I do a lot just because it's it's one of my hobbies. It's uh, uh-huh. it's 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 a fun thing that I love doing. I love having people over because I get to experiment. One of the best parts of of writing whole is now I can like contact cookbook authors and, and oh. offer, offer to interview them and just they have they send me a copy of their book. <laughs> so um, I just did an now interview. that must be a ton of fun. Oh my goodness. I just did an interview, uh, yesterday or two days ago with Tammy Noyes, who wrote Grills Gone Vegan, all about, oh, yeah. uh, all about grilling. And we were talking about, you know, her favorite recipes. And, um, so for me, it's, uh, it's a creative outlet. Now, my wife does not do a lot of the cooking, but she's the gardener. So, uh. so we have a, uh, a, a very complimentary relationship. I, I help. I haul dirt and pull stuff and, and, you know, I, I I do some of the dirty work, like I harvest the okra. I always come in like itching terribly from whatever <laughs> chemicals and sticker, you know, stickers are on the uh, the okra stems. But you know, she's uh, she provides in the 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 summer, fall, and early winter most most of our produce. Wow. Do you raise kale? Do you grow kale? Yes, and we're we're. This is the sad time of year where, uh, you know, it's, it's it's crazy. Like in the winter, all I crave is pesto. And now we've got more basil that we can harvest and all I want is kale, <laughs> which which we've just we just started sowing um, kale, collards, lettuce, um, like yesterday and today. So we pulled we pulled up uh, the the sweet potatoes to make room. We my, my wife found a, a 4.7 pound sweet potato in, oh. in, in the garden this morning. Just That's like, amazing. It's like two thirds the size of of my great nephew, you know. Wow, that's amazing. That that's almost the size of a newborn child, actually. Yeah. When you look at wow, that's kind of crazy. Um, I'm sure that you're aware that um, October second is national, actually, it's International Kale Day. Did you know that? Um, I'll lie and say yes. Say again. I'll lie and say oh, yes. Well, I didn't know about it till yesterday, uh, and then there's a psychiatrist in New York City whose name is Drew Ramsey, uh, who loves kale, and he's written a book called Fifty Shades of Kale. It's got 50 kale recipes in it. Brilliant. So if we had this conversation yesterday. I didn't know who he was, but uh, he uh, practices at Columbia uh, University Hospital, and uh, he believes that kale is the be-all, end-all, and even has a diagram of uh, what your brain looks like on kale. So he sounds like somebody who you need to connect with, and maybe you need to get his cookbook. 
All right, so Drew Ramsey. I'll... You, can, you can review it for him. I'll, I'll put him on my list of people I stalk. There you go. There you go. Well, Howard, uh, I could probably talk to you for much, much longer than the duration of these five questions because you certainly have enlightened me personally during our conversation, um, reminding me to be more patient, um, reminding me to read the manual and the fine print. Uh, I want to thank you on behalf of everybody at Real Food Works uh, for taking the time today to answer these questions. And uh, I look forward to seeing you the next time that you come to Philadelphia. Right on. We'll do we'll do whatever the plant strong version of a Philly cheesesteak is together. They do exist, except they're all made of fake meat. So I maybe we can find a nice kale hoagie somewhere. Right. I'll, I'll get Drew Ramsey right on it. <laughs> all right, Howard. Have a great day. Thanks so much. All right, Char. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Bye-bye.